Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Eric Nemchak here alongside Stephen Trinkwald. As always, it's been a while, Stephen, but we have an exciting event coming up, uh, the start of the 2022-23 college season. Yes, that's right. Uh, it's been a long time since we recorded, Eric. Nice to speak with you uh, again. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're uh, still speaking, technically. Yeah, we, we talk all the time, but it's nice to speak to you and hear your voice. Yeah, we're, we're going to dive into the uh, a little bit of a college basketball preview more focused as we usually do on college basketball from a draft prospect perspective you know not really going to focus on like who the national champion contenders are you know conference power players or anything like that but you know who we think are are really going to make some noise in the upcoming WNBA draft and I guess we can just start like how are you feeling about this draft class in relation to you know the last couple years well I think it's going to be better than 2021, but that's not really saying a heck of a lot. I don't know. You know, there were a couple unfortunate injuries, I think, that kind of derailed this draft class before it could really get off the ground. Um, Ioka Lee from Kansas State is is probably the big name there. She's the She scored 61 points in a game last season, which is the all-time record for NCAA game. And she unfortunately injured her ACL and needs a knee procedure. So that's unfortunate. There was some discussion about whether uh, Paige Beckers from UConn was going to come out early. She will miss the season with a knee uh, injury as well, so that really sucks. But yeah, this this draft class, I think you could probably call it a one-player draft class as far as who is who in the WNBA is going to be really coveting that number one overall draft spot because the number one overall prospect, Aaliyah Boston, is head and shoulders, literally, above the competition. And then I think there are a couple other names that are pretty firm lottery pick contenders for me. And after that, there's a whole lot of stuff that still needs to be addressed from the player's perspective. And that's why I think doing this before the college season is fun because we can kind of, as we were talking about off air, we can kind of get a feel for what we think of a player heading into the college season and then watching them develop and kind of uh, making their WNBA skills that much more apparent. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, you'll hear a draft class referred to as like, you know, a three player draft or a three and a half player draft. If someone is not too sure about, you know, one of the prospects, I feel like this is like a one and two halves player draft. I like. Would that just be two then? Yeah, but I I, <laughs> no, I don't feel that good about Diamond Miller. And I don't feel that good about Haley Jones. Like each of them, I think represent one half more so than it being you. a strong two player draft. Um, and we'll Whereas get into comparative it. to last year, it was a which was a three player draft, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I think Howard Smith, Austin. Yeah, you could feel better and. Even when we did this exercise last year, like you were kind of talking about Austin as a player who could get herself into the lottery uh, correctly, um, might I add. But it, it wasn't, you know, we were having this discussion last year as it was a, a sort of two-player draft, and Austin had a great season at Ole Miss and then a great rookie season, probably ex- exceeding some expectations there as well. But let's get into just kind of Aaliyah Boston, you know, the the coveted, uh, presumed number one pick coming off a national player of the year and a national championship just kind of break down her game a little bit. Like what, what are we talking about in terms of like a player archetype? So Aaliyah Boston to me is going to be the leader of that next wave of back to the basket, low post centers. Uh, the WNBA is, it's still a league in which post-ups are run, you know, maybe to the team's detriment, but it, they're still a significant part of many teams offenses. Aaliyah Boston, in my opinion, is going to keep that type of game cool, if you will. Um, she is so physically dominant as a center. And really, it, it, it works on both ends. Because uh, you can tell just by looking at her frame, like, okay, this is a this is an enormous player. She's got that WNBA body. She's had the WNBA body really since she was a freshman at South Carolina. But 
Her defense is really what makes her stand out because as we talk about all the time on this podcast, an elite defensive center can truly vault a team's defense to that next level, or it can almost make a make or break a team's defense. Leah Boston is the type of center who can make a team's defense. She's not only a, a, a great help defender, you know, which is what most people see, like when they think of the great paint protectors in the WNBA, you look at what? Shots blocked, right? Rebounds per game. Aaliyah Boston checks both of those boxes without fail. But what she's also really good at is she's really good at defending without fouling, which is another thing we talk about frequently on this podcast. She's just really good at staying vertical, you know, not getting overly handsy, you know, staying balanced on her feet without fouling, and still being an excellent help defender as well. Like she is the complete package as far as paint protection and rim protection is concerned. And then offensively, I think she's much closer to say, uh, say a Sylvia Fowles and a Brittany Griner because she just relies a lot on brute force. You know, her jump shot is developing. That's one thing that people get excited about, but her biggest offensive value is still going to be offensive rebounding. You know, she's maybe the best offensive rebounder in the country as well. If not the best, I would say top five for certain. So yeah, if you, if you were to go to the drawing board and, and, and draw out your ideal back to the basket, low post center, Aaliyah Boston would be that player. In sort of like the larger scheme of, of things, like what level of prospect are we talking about here? Do you think that we're talking about like a, a Stewie Asia future MVP type player? You know, is she kind of head and shoulders above last year's top three? Or, or where do you kind of like see her as a prospect? You know, I think that depends on how much you value defense at the position. Uh, I'm not going to say she's an Asia or Stewie type of player because those are the two best players in the world. And Stu in particular can do basically everything on a basketball court, whereas Boston's skill set is much more confined. Uh, so I'm not going to say, I'm not going to go so far as to say she's going to be like a routine MVP candidate. But again, if there's one player you can make the argument of anchoring a defense to the point of MVP contention, which an argument we usually use for Sylvia Fowles, right? It's going to be Olya Boston. I don't think her game has like a top two player ceiling as of yet because she just doesn't have that you know, outside jump shot from her game is largely 15 feet away from the basket and in, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you look at the, the players that you mentioned, Brianna Stewart and Asia Wilson, they can do it from basically anywhere on the basketball court, Stewie in particular, Boston is not there yet. I'm not sure if she'll ever get there because that's a very, very lofty expectation to put on her. But yes, I'm going to say as a prospect, she's definitely can't miss. I would rank her maybe just a little bit above Ryan Howard from last season in terms of the term you, t- you like to throw out there, blue chip prospect. I think she absolutely can be a franchise player if that's if I can kind of boil it down to that. And you had mentioned a few minutes ago just the level of defensive prospect that she is. I mean, I, I think she's pretty close to like a perfect defensive prospect. She She's just amazing on that end. She already has like a really great understanding of playing the angles she has the physical ability to go along with her defensive intelligence but what do you see her offensive role being as like a fully developed WNBA player like like a, a grinder falls like mid to high 20s usage kind of you know running the team's offense through the post or, or more of kind of like a you know anchoring your defense and maybe you're a really good offense's like second best offensive player you know her shot or her touch on the basket has developed significantly since she first came into the uh, division one ranks. So I'm not going to limit her to only being like a defensive specialist, offensive rebounding type of player. I do need to see her in the pick and roll a a little bit more because Boston only had 
14 possessions last season and all of last season as the role man. Um, as a team, they only ran the pick and roll or they only scored out of the pick and roll or they only attempted shots out of the pick and roll from the roll man 1.4% of the time. So South Carolina, definitely more of a post-up team than a pick and roll team if you had to choose between the two uh, play types. I think you would want for a player of her physicality, I think you'd want to get her going to the basket in as many different ways as possible. So I would like to see that happen. And of course, when you're comparing the college game to the WNBA game, it's really night and day. Uh, when you talk about floor spacing and guard play and just overall offensive uh, imagination among the best teams. So I think, you know, I think her, her best skill is, is always going to be with her back to the basket as well as hitting the offensive glass. The one thing that I would say is maybe working against her is that she rarely gets out in transition. That's just not her game. And that's not, and I don't think that's anything to do with the South Carolina system either. I, I just don't think she's a, a transition big, which is okay because she absolutely feasts in the half court. So to answer your question, largely, I think she's still going to be back to the basket and offensive rebounding with maybe a few jump shots sprinkled in from around the court. But I mean, if you look at how South Carolina is built and how you want to defend that team, the shot that you're going to give Aaliyah Boston is the three-point shot because she's so unstoppable in the paint. So if you talk about, okay, well, she needs to, she's developing that three-point shot. Yeah, but she's under 27% for her career on pretty low volume and the defenses need to give up something. So yes, I think she's going to be maybe not entirely paint bound like a Sylvia Fowles would be, but I mean, let's, let's just, let's just think of it this way. Sylvia Fowles is a pretty darn good name to be throwing out there as a player comparison, no matter whether or not she's going to be shooting shots outside of the paint. Right. Yeah. The, the shooting, I think, strikes me a little bit more as maybe like, at least early on, kind of like the Brianna Jones, like elbow jump shots, like still, sure it's good that you can kind of, you know, get some points, not immediately in front of the rim, but you're probably not spacing out to the line. There's not really any like statistical indication that she's going to be an effective three-point shooter exactly, right exactly. away. I, I don't think the shot looks amazing where you think, well, you know, they're just not falling and, and you can feel good about it. It does seem a little bit more like 15 feet and in, like you had said before. But, you know, you, you did mention that she's kind of like a, a can't-miss prospect at this point. Is there anything that you kind of want to see from, you know, from junior season to senior season to kind of, you know, round out her game as a prospect a little bit more? You know, I don't know if this is a focus, but I think it would be really cool if she became a little bit more of a playmaker out of the post. Because she's going to be commanding so much defensive attention. And she always has. Like, here's the thing about Aaliyah Boston. She has been an incredible WNBA prospect since her freshman season at South Carolina. Like, you talk about defending without fouling, understanding angles. Like, she has been an elite defender uh, from day one in the NCAA, which is really what makes it that much more impressive. But anyway, what I was saying was she's going to be commanding all that attention. I would really like to see her become more of a threat to pass. And maybe if you're talking about, okay, well, if she's finishing her shots at, at an absurd rate around the basket, then it doesn't really matter. If she's drawing free throws at a very high rate, then it doesn't really matter. But if you look at the absolute best low post player, back to the basket player in the WNBA, who in my opinion is Brittany Griner, what sets Griner's game apart from the other really good back to the basket centers? She can just absolutely dissect a defense with her passing ability. Like she will command the double team. And then she'll pass it off to a cutter easily, or she'll pass it to a shooter in the corner easily. Um, being six foot eight, six foot nine probably helps a little bit with that. And Aaliyah Boston is not that tall, but it's it's kind of the, in my opinion, it's more realistic and more reasonable to expect her to be uh, a little bit more of a playmaker out of the post than to magically pull a forty percent three point shot out of nowhere. You know what I mean? It it just seems like more of a compliment to her current game than 
a long distance jump shot, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that would be very promising to see that type of passing, you know, because she is, uh, this is not a team that I think has, or at least last year, didn't have great spacing, great shooting, great playmaking from the guard position. You know, they largely were a super effective offense by just like mauling people on the offensive glass. You know, they had like a 45% offensive rebound. It was ridiculous. Their first shot offense was not amazing. Um, And Boston booing the offense from the, the offensive glass was a large part of that. But, you know, if, if we could see her just kind of being a, a little bit more of a hub, I think, and, and kind of diming up players, that, that would be great. Um, but in terms of, like, the the rest of the lottery, who are we looking at here? Who Who's kind of in contention for two through four? Because it seems like, you know, we, we know for sure who's going number one. Yeah, definitely. Um, I have a pretty good feel who's going for who's going number two as well. Granted, things can change. But right now, I think it would be Haley Jones from Stanford. Uh, you know, and this is a really interesting player. Actually, uh, both the players I have at, at two and three are, are very interesting players. Maybe archetypes that you don't see grow on trees, if you will. Um, Haley Jones from Stanford. She is a, a really big guard. And now you've seen Haley Jones, right? Would you consider her more of a guard or a wing? Because Stanford does things really weird, interestingly. You know, they run a lot of Princeton. And Haley Jones, her strengths are not really typical of what you would think of a scoring wing or a scoring guard to be, right? I mean, I always kind of think of like what your position is as who you're going to defend. And I I just have no idea what position Haley Jones is going to defend. Not to say like, I don't think she can guard any position. That's not what I'm saying. Like, I just don't know. Like maybe she can kind of play up and and guard fours a little bit. I, I don't really think she has like elite athleticism to guard threes, but obviously like she's a little bit smaller on, on, the power forward side like what do you see as her position defensively if that's kind of how you would define it i think she's probably a three i think she's probably a three like she's listed as a guard but i think she's probably more of a three like my main concern is that there's just not going there's not much going on with her game 17 feet and out she's a reluctant three-point shooter and to the point where teams just don't really pay her much attention spotting up but that being said like if she's out there she's looking to pass she's looking to pass she's looking to um find a cutter because Stanford cuts like nobody's business. Uh, very, very good cutting team. Very intelligent basketball team, as you would expect. Her main strength is literally her strength. Like She almost plays kind of an Alyssa Thomas role for Stanford in that she's great at rebounding the basketball for a wing and just forcing things in transition because she basically like just shrugs off any sort of contact going to the rim. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch Haley Jones finish at the rim because contact just doesn't bother her at all. Very, very skilled finisher at the basket. But that's in transition. Like in a half court, you know, how does this translate to the WNBA level if you're playing on the wing? You know, that's that's a valid question. She did have a bit of a down year as a junior. Like her effective field goal percentage is only about 43.3%, which is down significantly. Like she was well above 50% in both her freshman and sophomore seasons. So, you she, know, maybe that kind of... She seemed to be a little bit um, overtasked as like a primary initiator would you say last yeah. season you know without kind of i mean they had a lot of struggles at the point guard and she was kind of thrust that's true into... that's true that's that's a good point yeah stanford didn't really have that kind of ball pressure or not ball pressure a rim pressure attacking guard that they did when kiana williams graduated or, or like a ball handler to beat ball pressure for that matter right right so and that that kind of gives you a good idea of what the parameters of, of Haley Jones' strengths and weaknesses are. You know, very, very interesting type of player. But when you think about if you're going to draft her at number two overall, do you want a player who's going to have these very specific weaknesses? You know, how does this work in the WNBA? But, I mean, just just physically speaking, she's without a doubt ready for the WNBA. I was going to say she kind of reminds me of, physically speaking, like a Jackie Young type. 
because she does so much of her damage below the free throw line, and she can use that physical strength. Like you, you like to say, like uh, put a shoulder into the defender and just rise up and can the the short range jumper. I think Haley Jones can really do that at a high level. Um, she's also going to draw a ton of fouls. She's going to shoot a ton of free throws. Um, and you know who knows? Maybe the passing ability. And here's the thing: like you don't play for Tara Vanderveer if you can't cut. And I'm not really sure if Haley Jones can cut or not because she's got the ball in her hands so often anyway. So maybe I'm underselling her her ability as an off-ball player. I think whichever WNB team is going to draft her, though, needs to take into consideration what she can do with the basketball in her hands, weighing against what she can't do, you know, away from the basketball, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, like, how much value are you bringing to a WNBA team by, you know, finding back cutters six times a game, like right, they, right. she's able to in this, uh, in Stanford's offense, you know, and I do have, I guess, some concerns about Jones is just like pure athleticism and her ability to just get by somebody. Like, I, I don't really know if she can beat her defender to her spot, you know, in kind of one-on-one offense. Obviously she is a good passer. Like her, her strength is impressive. She's been, uh, more willing to take, the shots is uh the outside shot as her career has evolved but it's obviously not like a, a very fluid three-point shot it hasn't gone in at a great rate um so i think there's you know a little bit of um cause for concern like if you just look at like the number two pick in in recent drafts right so you've you've got players like nilissa smith satu sabali kelsey mitchell uh in recent drafts and then other than that you know it's been kind of a lot of misses like how do you kind of rank Haley Jones as a prospect you know for your kind of recent typical number two draft pick below each of those players actually and, and honestly and, and probably this, like above everyone else except for maybe like a walk as a 19 year old that you don't really know anything yeah about. that's I'm not sure if that's even a fair comparison to make because the situations are, are so much different but yeah I mean this might be a little bit of a hot take but I don't think in my opinion Okay, big-time qualifier there, because I'm an idiot. So in my opinion, um, next player I want to talk about, Diamond Miller from Maryland, actually has a case to be the number two overall pick, because she's got, I don't know, I think her game just makes more sense translating to the WNBA. Like, we talk about Haley Jones, how many times do we say, well, if, or, or but, or in the right circumstances, Diamond Miller is a very astoundingly long-limbed wing who has great finishing potential, because... She just covers so much ground and attacks the basket at so many different angles. And she gets out in transition a very high rate, nearly 35% as a sophomore and over 30% as a junior while battling knee issues. Like you look at the wingspan, you're like, okay, this is a, this is a basketball player. <laughs> like you can just tell by looking at it. Like she's got the tools defensively. She's got really long range on her jump shot. And then, and then you weigh those, those two things. Okay. A six foot three wing who can both attack the rim at a high level and shoot the three from well beyond the perimeter, that's a pretty enticing player, right? The only thing holding Diamond Miller back, in my opinion, is her health. Um, like I said, she battled a knee injury for most of her junior campaign and just had a procedure on it in April. I don't know if she's even going to be ready to play the start of this season. And you look at that frame and it's like, well, that's kind of scary. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's I've got some trepidations about that. But skill-wise, I mean... I would be willing to take a shot on Diamond Miller if I have a lottery pick. Sure. So so if she stays healthy this year, like what what is that going to look like for her? Like what type of like uh wing game does she have? Is is it a lot of kind of 
attacking closeouts? Does she do kind of self-initiating? Tell us a little bit more about her. You know, I don't think she's quite there with, with ball screens yet. I think she's largely going to be a play finisher. Even if you put her in the pick and roll, I'm not sure where the decision making is yet. But this is something you're, you're going to want to watch with Maryland because they're not nearly as strong as they have been in previous seasons. Uh, they lost both Ashley Owusu and Angel Reese, two of their top three players, whichever order you want to put them in, two transfers. So this is going to be Diamond Miller's team. So you're going to have two questions. One, can Diamond Miller take on a larger role offensively? And two, can Diamond Miller stay healthy, obviously? But yeah, I mean, she's she makes these, like I said, she just, she just covers so much ground uh, with, with one or two dribbles and makes these ridiculous finishes through traffic. Like you don't even know how she gets the ball up there because she's got such long arms and such finesse finishing around the basket. Really, really exciting player. So, But yeah, I think she's just going to be a player who can just book it in transition and finish plays from either at the rim or beyond the three-point line. I still need to see her develop more of that off-dribble game as far as it's in, in terms of, you know, using the screen. Yeah, but that player might be a little bit more valuable than if a Haley Jones, say, like exactly. needs yeah. to have the ball in her hand. And exactly. maybe she's better with the ball in her hand than Diamond Miller. But if you're not as good as your WNBA team's other options, then, uh, you know, a player that can be effective while doing a little bit less. And it was a down junior season for Miller, but the season before... 57% from two when she hit 35% of her threes. So that's... It's six foot three. Like, again, like, those players don't grow on trees. This is this is a next level player. Anybody else that you, you know, are kind of looking at... I, I feel like number four here for, like, the final lottery pick is is really up in the air. Who do you have yeah. your eye on? Yeah. Uh, before she got injured, I would have said Aoka Lee. Not without her weaknesses, of course. But, you know, once she got injured, this discussion really got... Uh, he got kind of convoluted, I think. Um, the aforementioned Ashley Owusu, I'm going to talk a little bit more about her game later, but I think she's in contention. Maybe Rikia Jackson from Tennessee, a pretty high-profile transfer. Elizabeth Kitley from Virginia Tech, I'm not super high on her, but that's a possibility. Honestly, I don't know. I don't know. This, Like I said, or like you said, this is very much a one- and two-halves player draft class where... If I am a WNB team, I really don't want to get the number four overall pick. Maybe someone will really establish themselves this season. Maybe someone, maybe like one of these transfers. There were a lot of high-profile transfers this past season, you might have heard. But uh, maybe one of them will really take that next step. Uh, not exactly sure, though. A uh, high-profile transfer playing their way to the number four pick. Uh, sounds familiar, Eric. Let's talk about Ashley Wusu a little bit. A player who I think, you know, you're pretty excited about when we did this uh, exercise last year and I think her stock has maybe dropped a little bit since then yeah. w what do you want to see from her this year well we know what Ashley Owusu is good at she's really good at pushing pace and she's really good at just breaking people down off the dribble and attacking the rim as we saw when they played when Maryland played uh, some of the stronger teams in the country last season that's not always an effective strategy for your lead guard uh, she really struggled against South Carolina because she just couldn't leverage that those physical advantages that she enjoys over most uh, most other teams. So she transferred to Virginia Tech, and this is something that I'm really excited to see because the play styles uh, between Maryland last season and Virginia Tech last season could not be more different. Maryland transition frequency ranked in at least the 94th percentile, according to Synergy, of any team in each of Owusu's first three seasons. Virginia Tech transition frequency, second percentile last season. They are a half-court team. They want to get the ball to Elizabeth Kitley, who, is their, who was their best player. I don't know if you, if you consider Owusu their best player now, but 
another very traditional back to the basket player. So how Owusu if Kuru, I could just jump in, I, I would yeah. probably say like Kitley is probably their best college basketball player and Owusu is probably their best WNBA prospect. That is a very good way of putting it. But this is a good situation for Owusu to kind of raise her stock back up because, you know, for one, it's kind of the marriage of what Owusu does best with what Virginia Tech already wants to do. And as a point guard, you know, one of the things that teams are going to be looking at, can you play at at a WNBA pace? Which is, you know, can, can you run all these different types of offenses? Can you settle things down on the half court? Like, is, is Ashley Owusu an and one mixtape type of lead guard, lead, lead guard, or is she a guard who can legitimately run a, a WNBA level offense? I think part of what happened with Maryland last season is that, you know, they, they were banking so much on their pace. They weren't really, like when things got into the half court, maybe they kind of struggled a little bit and the numbers probably won't bear that out, but it was pretty obvious watching them, right? Like when the game slowed down a little bit, Owusu didn't play as well. Miller didn't play as well. And you're going to need to be able to do that in the WNBA because you're not going to be able to lean on pace for, for a full, uh, full 40 minutes. And the other thing I want to see from Owusu is, can she play the three? She's like a hair below. I, she's listed at six foot zero. I wouldn't say she's six, she's six foot zero, but looking at her, I mean, she's not your not the typical build for a, a lead guard. You can just tell that automatically. I mean, they've got some good guards already. Georgia and Murakray on a trailer. So they're not going to want to bench one of those players. I mean, they're going to have to, but... I'm interested to see if Kenny Brooks, the head coach for Virginia Tech, is going to want to play Uwusu with the three a little bit. Because if you look at what's the thing we always talk about for positional versatility, it doesn't matter if you can't bring at least some sort of advantage to multiple positions, right? Uwusu, she's clearly got the physical advantages. Can she use those advantages at positions where she may not have the ball in her hands all the time? Can she play in a three-guard lineup? Because if she can, that's going to open up a lot of things. So that's why I'm excited to watch her in Virginia Tech this season. Do you think Ashley Wusu is like this draft class's best chance at like a good WNBA lead initiator offensively? Or do you not even see her as that player? Are there other guards uh, that you maybe like better as kind of just like, you know, someone that you want running a, a WNBA offense? Or does this class just have none, basically? I don't think this class has any, honestly. Uh, guard is probably the weakest position, at least when you put it that way. Like, Wusu is a guard, but... Is she going to be running a WNBA offense? Like that's that kind of goes back to my whole question of when the pace slows down. You know when when whichever team Owusu gets to isn't able to just push the ball up and makes like Maryland did every time. When they're not able to do that, can Owusu run a pro offense? She has gotten very high praise in terms of how well she sees the game, um, how well she can set up her teammates. But I think I don't think it would be unfair to say she's been more of a scoring lead guard in the three years in Division One rather than a uh, more of a lead guard or a distributing guard. Granted, she can score the basketball at a pretty high level, but I mean, also her three-point volume has been pretty low. You know, she has only exceeded 11% three-point attempt rate once playing for Maryland, and maybe that was her role, but again, not now that she's going to more of a half-court team, is she going to get that three-point attempt rate up there? Because it's been pretty low her first three seasons, so that's another thing to watch for. And a player, at least when I would see her play that has a heavy diet of non-paint twos, long, yeah. long yeah. mid-range jump shots. And, you know, she seems like a player that can make them okay, but like how valuable is that? So, yep. you know, I think there's a lot of, a lot more kind of big names in college basketball that we haven't hit on yet that I think we both have a little bit more trepidation on as, as WNBA prospects. Who, who do you want to talk about? Okay. So I'm just going to stay on Elizabeth Kitley right now because I already mentioned her. She's probably the second best big Maybe the second best big in this draft class after Boston. 
and it's it's a pretty big margin between the two players but um playing in the acc her versus Alyssa kunain was probably one of my favorite individual matchups because they both have very obvious limitations to their game and that they both move kind of stiffly uh kitley maybe even more than kunain but kitley is bigger she's just better let's see if this makes any sense she's bigger she's better at playing bigger she leverages her physicality much better she's better at staying vertical contesting shots and i think she's a little better at finishing around the rim as well you're not going to accuse elizabeth kitley of being soft unfortunately for her everything just develops so slowly like she's got really good footwork but one thing i think you pointed out on twitter recently is that uh was it a studio fall you said she's really good at keeping the ball high off offensive rebounds oh yeah in her first EuroLeague game she just like yeah. would catch it above her head never bring it down at all and, and be able to finish very impressive yeah elizabeth kitley still needs to work on that because she can rebound the ball offensively very very well i think i think i almost want to say the stats don't do her justice in that because if if she's on a player who's even a couple inches shorter than she is and the ball goes up and it's in that zone she's gonna get it like she's really good at staying big as i said but she brings it down she brings it down, and that's not good because at the WNBA level, there are the really quick guards with the really quick hands, and Elizabeth Kitley, not so quick um, in any sense of the word. So that's one thing I'm going to need to see her work on. But again, like Aoka Lee, I really wish she didn't get injured because she'd probably be the better example of this. Just a, a massive, lumbering, low-post player who's got very clear defensive limitations. Like Kitley's going to need to be a drop defender. There's really no other way around that. But around the rim she's almost peerless and she's still got developing footwork and you know, I, I think she's got pretty good footwork that can get even better she's got a soft touch around the rim and she gives that second effort on the offensive glass so she's not without her her strengths for sure would you like to interject here well i mean she, she does just kind of strike me as a player that we've seen very recently you mentioned Alyssa kunane and i don't think kitley has been you know statistically as as efficient as kunane but maybe she just has more of a chance to like you know be a pro defender than Kunain, who, you know, was obvious. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Kunain is going to get overmatched physically, no matter no matter where she is on the court. I think Kitley will at least stand a fighting chance if she's defending post ups or something like that. Okay, that's good. Um, yeah, I, I think you know defending post ups is the least of my concerns. I would say defensively, you know, I think you know she just she strikes me as a little stiff. I guess as as an athlete. So definitely, that, no, that's a great word. That's um, a great word for it. Moving on, Zaya Cook. I don't think she's a top-tier prospect. I, I'll i be honest, I do not like her game. But a lot of people do. <laughs> a lot of people do. She's uh, she's the quintessential bag player, if I could put it that way. Really pretty shot when it's going in. Very frustrating when it's not. And it doesn't go in at a very high clip. You know, she's um, been below 30% shooting, or been below 40% shooting for two seasons in a row now. Below 30% from three-point range last season. And it just looks at it as like the jump shot looks so good, but it just doesn't go in enough. You know what I'm saying? And as a guard, I think she just needs to make better decisions. There are so many times when South Carolina, well, I shouldn't say so many times because they were the best team in the country, but whenever South Carolina was in trouble last season, whenever they were on the ropes, um, it was almost always because their guards were either taking bad shots or making bad decisions with the basketball, not getting the ball to Aaliyah Boston. And uh, Zia Cook was a major offender. So what I'm really looking for her looking for from her this season is can she mature a little bit? These quick shots, these off the dribble jump shots, just better decisions with maybe post entry passes, balancing that explosive offensive game with a more patient half court one. 
Any any thoughts on this? You've seen her play, right? Yeah, I mean, she strikes me as like a real microwave scorer type of player. I struggle to kind of picture what her position is defensively in the WNBA. Yeah. She she's pretty small for just like a straight two guard, right? At least she, she is. And the thing about South Carolina is they have a tremendous defensive ecosystem already. Boston, a, a ton of really big, strong front court players, and one of the best uh, perimeter defenders in the country, in, in Bria Beal. So, yeah. Um, I, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And then, you know, it was a very tough season individually for her, despite the team's success, you know, below 30% from three below 40% from two. I, I was a little bit higher on her kind of going into the season last year, but I'm, I'm just not really sure like what the draw is. If you are kind of like, like, where does she fit into your rotation? If you're really, and it's trying not to like build she, she's team. not really making any plays for others either at a consistent level. So that, that, that's, that might be the deal breaker, honestly. I think I need to see her either take the next step in either scoring efficiency, like significantly so, just overall decision making or becoming more of a threat to to make plays for others because there's no reason why. And granted, again, South Carolina, not a big pick and roll team at all, um, but that it should be a wrinkle that, you know, like you said, the spacing is, is not great on that team. I would need to see at least some kind of playmaking from Zion Cook if I want to say, yeah, definitely a first round prospect. Should I keep going here? Where, where well- am I? Yeah, I mean, is there anyone specifically you want to talk about? I, I know we have like a, a whole list of like wing type players on here. Does anybody kind of stick out from that group of, you know, Maddie Williams, Ashley Jones, those those type of Grace Berger? Are any of those players that, you know, coming into this season, you, you like more than others? I really like Maddie Williams from Oklahoma. I'm probably higher on her than a lot of other people are. But if you look at what she does well, she's got almost everything you'd want in a play finishing wing. Uh, she's really athletic. She's strong. She can contribute on the glass. Um, I think her best rebounding season was actually as a freshman. She can both shoot from the outside, not astoundingly well, but well enough to where she can attack closeouts with her athleticism and, and dribble, uh, penetration skills. And she's just going to attack the rim relentlessly. Granted, Oklahoma is very much another up-tempo kind of team that is going to put up gaudy points per game numbers while really not defending anybody well at the next level. So I think Williams, in order to really be that first round play finishing wing prospect she's gonna to need to show a little bit more on defense as well but uh i really like her um her teammate taylor robertson not a fan of at least as far as a draft prospect is concerned she may be the best shooter like ever uh, like maybe a little bit of hyperbole there but she's just a breathtakingly good shooter zero space required will hit it from several feet from beyond the three-point line and she excels at literally nothing else like i'm she's not gonna be able to create as a pro She's not going to be able to defend as a pro. You know, it's really hard to make a case. She is like the ultimate one-dimensional player. Like, if, if she can make a WNBA roster based on shooting, the sky's the limit for any other player of that art to type. I, I mean, honestly, I, I know nothing about Taylor Robertson, but I, I kind of think that more WNBA players should, like, be given spots just because they're, like, one-dimensional shooters. You know, I, I think... If, if there is that type of roster spot available, it's Taylor Robertson's for the taking, honestly. She is that good of a shooter. And it's not just standstill, spot-up three-point shoot. Like, they will run her off of screens. Teams have to send two people whenever she comes off the screen because she that, that shot's going up and it's going in, even if there's a hand in her face. Like, she's just a breathtakingly good shooter. But again, really nothing else to contribute. Not not enough else. So it, it'll be a good litmus, litmus test for uh, WNBA GMs to see where she goes in the draft. I, I have something I want to ask you. Oh, yeah, okay, go for you it. know, after the first... What would you say, Eric? Probably two months of last year's college season. 
Ashley Jones was kind of in position to to be considered a lottery pick, and I think yeah maybe her stock falling a little bit is is why she decided to return for a fifth year. As we kind of talk about the number four spot being so up in the air, is there any way for her to get back into that consideration, or do you kind of see her kind of playing more for like the middle late first round now? Um, I wouldn't bet on it, but I don't see why she can't. Like if you look at her year by year statistics, it was a down year for her by her standards, scoring the basketball. But if you look at her sophomore season, that was a down year for her, scoring the basketball. Her freshman and junior and junior seasons, rather, they were great. I mean, she was a very efficient scorer, especially on that kind of volume. So if she can put together that kind of scoring campaign again, maybe she plays herself back in. But here's the thing. like We've already seen four seasons of, seasons of Ashley Jones now. Her physical limitations are very obvious. You've watched her play several times as well, right? So... You know, like she's maybe a big wing. If I can steal one of your terms, Eric, she is a what you see is what you get type athlete. Yes. No, that's that's good. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Athletically speaking, she's what you see is what you get. Gets shoots a ton of free throws. But how much of that is because she's bigger than the person she's de- uh, being defended by in college? I, I probably that is like the one element that I just I I cannot see that translating to the WNBA. Her ability to get to the line like she does in college because she's not going to be an effective post player. And so much of her. Yeah getting to the line is is kind of like her sort of meandering post game and i i just there's no way that translates and it's like she, no th- it's it's totally respectful and the thing is like so much of her success like iowa state never has any, any respectable low post players so much of their offense is either four out or five out that ashley jones is being matched up against bigger players who she's going to be able to beat off the dribble and or um beat to the spot from beyond the arc is she going to be able to play the four at the wnba level i don't think so but is she going to be able to defend wings at the WNBA level? I'm not so sure. So it's like, well, who is she defending? Is she, she's not going to be able to draw those fouls. She's she's a good three-point shooter, but she's not like a dead-eye three-point shooter. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure if I see the lottery pick potential. I, I do think she's a, a first-round talent. But again, she had a big chance to really assert herself as that last lottery pick last season. And she regressed. So it'd be a big surprise to me if she really played herself into that this season. I'm just going to throw some names out there. Uh, Rikia Jackson transferred to Tennessee after a real dumpster fire season at Mississippi State. Not entirely of her doing. She she was still pretty good there. But um, I think she is a maybe a lottery pick talent. Hasn't really put it together yet. But if you talk about overall skill set plus athleticism plus, you know, WNBA frame, she's maybe the closest there is to a complete package as a prospect, athletically speaking. I, I, I don't know her. Tell me a little bit about her. Okay, so Rikia Jackson, she's your she's your typical three slash four, where she's she's a three. She's a how do I put this? She's a small forward athlete with small forward skills, who has the size to hold up at the four. Mississippi State they went through a couple of coaching changes in the past few seasons, and have honestly just gone right down the tubes as a program, which is kind of sad to see. Uh, and Jackson was kind of forced into a bigger role as as her usage and scoring efficiency numbers suggest. She was over Shaxton. then. But one thing uh, their interim coach, I forget his name, wanted to do was play her at the five. And that was, it was intriguing. I'm not sure if it really worked out that well. Um, but yeah, she's a three-level scorer. Questionable, maybe questionable efficiency at each of those three levels. I'm still kind of waiting for her to, you know, really put it all together, like I said. Um, but she's a really good, very, very graceful athleticism, can get out in the open court easily. 
I think she's just got pro written all over her. It's a matter of taking that next step as far as, you know, decision-making. And here's the thing. She's going to a, a program in Tennessee where she's going to be playing as a Jordan Horston, who was similarly overtaxed in a point guard role last season. And similarly, actually much more so, very dreadful scoring efficiency numbers, but a very toolsy kind of athletic wing player. So there's some overlapping skill there. So I'm very interested to see which player kind of stands out more between the two of them. I think Rakia Jackson is pretty significantly the better better WNBA prospect, but Tennessee is definitely going to be a program to watch uh, because of those two players. And people uh, that are not affiliated with this podcast, um, like Tamari Key as a WNBA prospect a little bit, I, I can't say I understand uh, it too much, but you know, Tamari they, Key, she's they, they have people that... You know, pe- people are interested in in terms of draft boards. So. Yeah, neither of us, I think, are really that, that well-versed in the college game. So uh, definitely willing to uh, defer to more knowledgeable people on this one. This is just this is just the podcast, man. Like, I, I will be wrong about a lot of this stuff. Can uh, I mention a few more names? Yeah, definitely. Let's go through them. Okay, all right, let's go through it. Um, Asia Blackwell, another very interesting transfer. Um, she's going to Baylor after playing uh, at Mizzou. You look at her physically, and you probably have some questions, right? She's, I don't know if she's even six foot, six feet tall, but she's a monster rebounder. She gets after it like nobody's business. Uh, and I think she's more of a, uh, how do I put this? She's much more of a motor slash nose for the basketball type of rebounder than physically overwhelming rebounder. I'm not sure how much of the system, like she crashed the glass a lot at Mizzou. Will Nikki Collin encourage her to do that at Baylor? I don't know. Can but, I tell a funny story about Asia Blackwell please, real quick? Um, please. I was just kind of looking at names that you had on here, and and Blackwell was uh, a name that I like remembered seeing on you know mock drafts and stuff like that last year, but I'd never watched. And I kind of like dove into the numbers a little bit, and I was like, mm, I, I don't really understand how this is a WNBA prospect just from like the statistical translations. And then I was uh, going through a conversation I had with somebody a few months ago, and they were like. Uh, Asia Blackwell strikes me as the type of person that if you just looked at their numbers, you would write them off immediately. And I was like, oh yeah, I really? did do that. That's so funny. Why is that? You know, because like you said, 5'11", doesn't hit the three, 64% from the line on massive volume, like not a huge stocks player. You know, if you are under six feet tall, you can't shoot and you are making your bones offensive rebounding. Like that is not, you know, that, that strikes up questions and concerns as a WNBA player to me. Well, Michaela Onionwari fit that description, and she won Rookie of the Year. You know, it's all about the situation that you get drafted into. And I think I think Blackwell's statistics kind of undersell how skilled she is with the basketball. Like, I bring up Onionwari because, physically speaking, they're not that dissimilar, at least in their strengths and weaknesses um, and, and, and height. I think Blackwell is more skilled at, at this point in her career than Onionwari was maybe even now. Like, she's got an off dribble jump shot is just not that good. <laughs> um, if I could put it that way, like she's got developing ball skills and she's got a developing jump shot where she is comfortable taking it. And Mizzou was comfortable actually running plays for her to do that on a consistent basis. So I just want to see, you know, to, as we talked about with onion Wary back in, back in the day, back in the day, two years ago, when she got drafted, how is this going to translate? You know, what position is she going to cart? What, what position is, is she going to guard? What is she going to play on offense? Is she going to be a tweener in a good way or a bad way? if I can put it that way. Her fellow transfer teammate, Driana Edwards, maybe I'm saying that wrong, Driana Edwards from Kentucky. I think it's Driana. Driana. Um, well, she transferred to Baylor too from Kentucky. Um, another very toolsy, kind of an undersized front court player, another undersized big. But if she and 
if she and Blackwell are playing the five and the four, one, that's a very small front court, but two, it's a front court that can do a lot of different things with the basketball. So I'm very interested to see how that works out at Baylor. Who else? Who else? Who else, who else? Edwards to, like just strikes me as a player that's just going to like be an awesome overseas player for a long time, but yeah. doesn't really, you know, profile as a WNBA. Could you definitely know, be wrong, but there is somebody. Uh, she reminds me of a player who went to Ohio State a, a while ago named Shayla Cooper and Richard Cohen had the, I don't know if it was, <laughs> Richard Cohen has a very British sense of humor because he's British, but he, he mentioned Shayla Cooper as a player who's going to get cut by a lot of WNBA teams. And I'm pretty sure he meant that as a compliment. Um, if he didn't, I, I apologize, but I'm pretty sure he meant that as a compliment because, uh, you know, a, a player who moves very well for their size, who can do a lot of things without the ball, but doesn't really excel at one thing and just kind of too short to really be an impact WNBA player. That's kind of who Edwards reminds me of. We'll see if I'm wrong. I probably am. But one more name I just want to throw out there is Grace Berger, Indiana. She's an interesting one because she's statistically, she profiles as more of a point guard, but she's just not. She's more of a two guard who can initiate. Watching her, she's one of my favorite players to watch because she doesn't get it done with pure athleticism. She gets it done by pace of play. And when I say pace in this instance, I don't mean constantly going 100 miles an hour. I mean, she shifts gears very, very, very effectively. And she's just a very balanced player. You got to watch her in order to understand what I'm saying here. Yeah, I, I hate to be so reductive, but like that type of player, I just think it's so much easier if you can also hit a shot. And well, the thing is, she can't hit a shot though. Like she showed, she's shown in the NCAA tournament that she can hit shots under duress as well. Like she's six foot zero. Like that's pretty good size for a guard, and she's she's stronger than she looks. She's got really good elevation on her jumper. It's just she's not super quick end to end. But you're right. I mean, all of these players we have questions about. That would be the biggest question of Berger. But um, Indiana's loaded this year. This is probably Indi- the year for this Indiana court to really realize its potential because Maryland's not quite as good. Michigan's not quite as good. Uh, Iowa's got major question marks defensively, as as always. Indiana, I think, if, if Berger can lead that Indiana team to a Big Ten title and to another deep run in the NCAA tournament, I think she's going to be getting some looks as a first-round prospect. All right, I wanted to ask you about J.C. Sheldon, a player who we, we talked about. I, I know you are not as high on her as I think some of her like most optimistic believers who are you know kind of uh. putting her around that, that lottery range if, if she can play into it, you know, as people are kind of talking about options and, and stuff like that. I don't think anyone's you know writing her name in pen, but a player who I, uh, I think people think can play into that position. Tell me a little bit about like you... I guess your evaluation of her and, and your trepidations a little bit. Well, full disclosure, I do not have a solid opinion on J.C. Sheldon yet. I could be very wrong on this, um, and I apologize if I am, but I think part of the reason why some people whose opinion I respect immensely are so high on her is that, as you mentioned earlier, there aren't really a lot of standout lead guards in this class. There aren't really a lot of standout initiating guards in this class. So if Sheldon can, you know, I mean, she runs a lot of pick and roll at Ohio State, but those last two words, man, Ohio State. I am not, I'm generally not a fan of Ohio State prospects. I've, I've seen a lot of Ohio State players who really put up big numbers in the Big Ten, either totally flame out as prospects or just not really get that much consideration as a prospect. I think they come into the league not really, I, I think their fundamentals are, are, are generally lacking. I don't think that's a, a strength of the Ohio State program. I'd love to be wrong on this, and maybe Sheldon is the player to kind of break that mold. Kelsey Mitchell notwithstanding, like we knew she was going to be an amazing player, but even she took a few years to really get uh, suited in that lead guard role because of, you know, Ohio State was just so free-flowing on offense. So what I'm going to be looking for from Sheldon this year are those playmaking chops. 
right? I mean, statistically, you've got him right here. 60% true shooting, gets the line pretty well. Decent three-point shooter, but considering the volume, you know, I mean, that's it's pretty good. I, I, Again, I think she shoots a pretty easy ball, like, and she she relocates well. Like, I think in the extremely limited film I was able to kind of watch on J.C. Sheldon, like, the concerns for me were obviously, you know, defensively, but she's still like for her size. I think she has really long arms. She has good wingspan, which always helps yeah. defensively. But she needs to improve with her left hand big time. I think both with her loose dribble which led to her her not great turnover numbers. Like her assisted turnover numbers are not really that strong, despite I think her being a pretty good passer and, and being able to make some pretty tough passes. Um, and also her finishing. Like she, she just doesn't, despite really being able to get all the way to the rim at good volume, like she just has no left hand when she gets there. And I, I think that's tough. But, you know, we've seen a lot of really good players leave college with no offhand. You know, the aforementioned Richard Cohen talks, you know, weekly almost about how Skylar Diggins-Smith didn't have a right hand when... Oh, not she came into the league and you know none. um so so these are college players we're talking about they're all going to have holes in their games and for a lot of them it's can't finish with their offhand uh and, and jc sheldon's no exception but you know I, I there are some things there that uh i think i like more than you know some of the other players that again i've seen very very limited film of and you know the big 10 produces players like this very often just people who are really good at shooting off the dribble people who are combo guard ish who probably can't really defend that well, but who either need to get stronger with the basketball and or can't finish with their offhand. And some of them stick around and some of them don't. Like Rachel Bannum, one of them who has stuck around and, and turned herself into a useful WNBA rotation player. Other ones, like Tori Jankowska, for instance, did not stick around very long. One game after being drafted by my Chicago Sky. Big sob. I had to get that in there. But anyway, yeah, I mean, I think the, the question for Sheldon will, as I mentioned, and as you alluded to as well, uh, can she tighten up the handle? Can she improve on the assisted turnover ratio? Because we know she can score using a screen, right? That we that we can both agree on. It's can she establish herself as one of the best creators for others in this class? Because there just aren't many, which is what we said at the top. So, yes, let's watch some J.C. Sheldon this year. Yes. Are there any? I guess. Other players that you're kind of interested in as, as maybe like non-stars on their teams, but would just slide into a WNBA role, you know, maybe just as good as kind of sliding into their college role? First name that comes to mind is Leticia Amihir. Am I saying that wrong? I thought it was Amihir. Amihir? Because I've, I've heard it pronounced two different ways, and I'm not sure if either one is correct. My sincere apologies, by the way. I, I really don't like not knowing how to pronounce players' names. I need to get better at that. But she is a big at South Carolina, which right away uh, puts her in a a difficult position to evaluate because there's so much to compete with there. You know, they've got uh, a returning fifth-year player in Victoria Saxton. They've got a high-profile transfer in Camila Cardoso. So Amihir is not going to put up big volume stats because she's simply not going to play enough. But she is the most athletic big in this class. And she recently, in the 2022 FIBA World Cup, flashed, I would say, game-changing defensive playmaking ability for Team Canada. Like, she, she was first known, I think she first came out of the scene when she like she dunked when she was, I think, 15 years old, which obviously, for obvious reasons, will put you on the map. But she is really coming into her own as a player who I think can, you know, fulfill that or take that athleticism and actually do something with it. Um, I think I would definitely use a mid-second round pick on her because she just has that kind of upside. At worst, I think she's like a Beatrice Montpremier type where like, yeah, she's long and she can run the floor and she can come in on a seven-day contract and, and give you minutes if you need them. But the upside is she's going to be able to do that and make a hell of a lot of plays on defense. 
and you know the offensive game is still developing as well so like like she came into the game like her, her impact is not really told by what her basic box score stats are i worded that very poorly but you get what i'm, I'm saying there were times in which she was team canada's best big and she's 20 21 years old maybe so that's that's pretty good so i think yes i, I think that's a player who as i said at south carolina there's a lot there's a lot going on in that front court she's not going to get go-to player minutes or go-to player volume but i think teams will have their eye on her and me personally i'm watching for nc state this season because uh elisa kunin graduated she was the fulcrum of that four out one in offense um they also lost their starting point guard in reina perez and their best perimeter defender in kayla jones so that's quite a bit and that that leaves quite a bit of usage and or you know overall role to be taken uh taken over on nc state they're not gonna be top dogs in the acc anymore i don't think but jakia brown turner and jada boyd are two players who i really like athletically speaking brown turner is probably the more skilled of the two because she's she's a wing who is kind of shoehorned into like a, this limited spot up player type of role with alongside kunane and, and perez i think she's gonna get more run now um and jada boyd another really gracefully athletic type of player more of a combo forward i'm not sure if she can play the five or not but um she's more skilled that she's giving credit for and i think uh, athletically speaking, she's she's got pro written all over her. So if those two players get kind of a bump in usage and a bump in minutes per game, I think they could kind of play their their way into at least mid-second round consideration for NC State. But, you know, your question was, they're not stars in college, but can they be at least a WNBA role player? I think rule of thumb is that you're not going to be a star in the WNBA if you weren't a star in college. But they can very well be like an upper tier kind of player in college and move towards a role player sort of gig in the WNBA, if that makes sense. And then the other question I have is, uh, which mid-major player is going to stand out? You know, there's always the the bias against mid-major players. I mean, it's, let's call it like we see it here. You're not going to get, there There are players who are in the mid-majors who are WNBA caliber, but simply are overlooked because they're not from a Power 5 program. Uh, Maddie Segrist from Villanova, maybe one of them. And Star Jacobs from UT Arlington, another one I'm looking for. I've, Which of those players? I mean, Ma- Maddie Segrist is a name that I have probably heard a thousand times. Like, I, I don't know, maybe the m- most famous like player that we haven't really talked about yet. Like, what- what's her deal? Tell me a little bit about her, because people seem to very, very excited about her. Very skilled power forward who may not uh, may not be able to hang physically. Um, that's that's how, if if I can boil it down to one little archetype, that's how I would say it. The thing about her is, I don't think she's a good enough outside shooter to really like just like automatically vault her into like i wouldn't say i'm not going to go on my usual spiel about what a stretch four is and what a stretch four isn't because i think she can be a stretch four it's just that she's doing so much else with the basketball like she's got such a high usage there um you know the the, the typical stuff you think of of a a collegiate star really really high usage playing in a mid-major where you know probably their, their size is probably being leveraged in a way it can't in the wnba um i would actually have some of the concerns I, I have about Ashley Jones now uh, for Seagrist as well. One thing, though, that I think we can we can watch for is they're going to play UConn twice. UConn, obviously, a little overqualified to be in the Big East right now, but that's not my point. Um, that's one of the biggest tests I look for when, when individual prospects are playing in the mid-majors. How do they play against UConn? Um, a, a team that is, you know, probably second to none in scheming out high-volume scorers and putting massive waves of next-level talent out against teams that are just playing overmatched. Um, how is Seagrass going to perform against that team this season? You know, you can look at the, the, the her past history against UConn. She's had some success, some not so much. So if she can play consistently against that team, they get them twice, 
maybe a third time in, in the postseason. We don't know. But that's that's the one thing that I'm going to look at. We're like, okay, here's a mid-major player who's putting up enormous statistics against largely mid-major competition, and then she's going to be playing this team that, let's be honest, is not a true mid-major that's going to be able to load up and defend against her. And then Star Jacobs, UT Arlington. Don't know much about her, to be bluntly honest. So uh, that's a player who I'm going to be looking at as well for mid-major players who, you know, can maybe crash the party, if you will. Oh, one more player. One more player I want to talk about, because I, I think I feel like some people are just waiting for me to mention this. Daisha Fair. A lot of people on Twitter really like her. Another mid-major player, or a player coming from a mid-major in Buffalo, who just had massive, massive usage rate. But a fun player to watch. You know, I, I like... Here's the thing. I like watching these small combo guards who take a lot of shots in college because I think it's a fun archetype. Where did she transfer to? She transferred to Syracuse. Okay, so that's the ACC. That's maybe the best conference in women's college basketball. If not, it's like top two, top three. So she's going to be playing against a lot more size, a lot more athleticism, and she's probably not going to be given like a 35% usage key to the car, if you will. So this is another. This is a huge transition for her, and as we mentioned several times already, there is a there is a pretty big gaping hole as far as playmaking guards in this draft class. Can she be that player? Another really small combo guard, Charisma Osborne. I want to mention from UCLA. I'm gonna face a lot of the same questions. You know, not a good two point shooter, pretty small, not a great assist to turnover ratio. Can she step her game up? I think that Stephen is gonna be maybe the main thing we're gonna be looking for in this draft class, right? Is which guards can really assert themselves. Cause I think the overarching question, one thing you had, one question you had was which position is going to be the strongest in this class. In my opinion, it's, 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 it's the wing and it's not particularly close. I, I mean, basically but, almost everyone we talked about today was like a two through four. Yeah. Yeah. So, but if you're looking at WNB teams, like you could always use a good backup or I mean, even a good, you know, spot starter, guard. Um, and there are some guards in this class who are going to put up big numbers in college, but also have some pretty significant weaknesses and pretty significant questions I have. So who's going to be that, that second-tier guard after Owusu? You know, that's that's going to be my big question. Is, is it going to be J.C. Sheldon? Is it going to be Daisha Fair? There aren't that many names right now. But going back to the beginning, that's why I like doing this exercise at the start of the season because – you're waiting for some players to really assert themselves for WMA teams who need that type of player. Not every WMA team is going to say, yep, wing is at the top of our list. You know what I mean? Oh, oh one, one, one more thing. One more thing. Um, I apologize for taking so long with this, but one player I want to shout out is Jessica Carter on Mississippi State. I think she was on track to becoming maybe like a number five or number six overall pick this season when she was a sophomore. Um, but as I said, Mississippi State, uh, not a lot of continuity going on there. And she also uh, had some pretty significant uh, mental health struggles the past couple seasons as well. So uh, a player I'm really, really rooting for on a personal basis, but also a player uh, as, a, as a big who has an interesting shot profile. According to Synergy, during her sophomore season, her two uh, most frequent play types were actually offensive rebounding and cut. So not post-ups, which I found very interesting. So that's another player I'm going to have my eye on because she could really make some noise if she's, and I hope she is in, in a better space right now. So I am, I'm rooting for, and I'm watching for Jessica Carter this season. And uh, now I'm done. Eric, is there anything you wanted to plug before we go? 
Yes. So on this topic, um, I will once again be writing about WNBA draft prospects over at Swish Appeal. Maybe not as frequently in as in past seasons, but I will be doing the same thing as usual. I'll be going over their careers in the NCAA to this point, you know, what they've done, uh, what they've accomplished, and maybe what their games look like as far as how it translates to the WNBA level. Uh, and then listing a few games uh, that you can watch them play in. So, so far I've written about Rakia Jackson, Grace Berger, Maddie Williams, and Ashley Owusu. Uh, I would really love if you check them out. It really means a lot uh, when people read their read my articles and share them. And if you have any uh, suggestions or feedback, please let me know as well. Positive or negative, it's all good. It's all good. Do, do you already um, have um, other ones lined up? Do you know what you're going to be No, doing? I don't. And that's the other thing that I was going to say was, uh, if you have a player who you'd like me to write about, please let me know, and I will strongly consider it because I always enter the season um, with a list of players I want to write about. And I've got like a schedule because I'm a huge nerd, but I've got a schedule of like who I'm writing about when. And like right now, I like I try to, as I talk about, there's a lot of high profile transfers this season. Um, so I tried to write about transfers first or fifth year returning seniors first, fifth year uh, graduate students rather first. So I have that kind of lead. But once the season starts, it's fair game, man. So if you have a player who you really want me to write about, please let me know because uh, I know there's a demand for it. So um, yeah. Please uh, check out that stuff over at Swish Appeal, and uh, I really, really appreciate your readership. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, um, you can do so by following, rating, and reviewing the show on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric at E or myself at Trinkwald, and uh, I think... The next time you hear from us will be our uh, rookie positional uh, deep dives here where we'll talk about a few of the last year's rookie centers. Another exercise we really enjoy doing year in and year out. So you're not going to want to miss it, or maybe you are, but I, will, you'll probably I want to record it. it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to doing it. You might not want to yeah, hear me it. Me too, me too. All right. Well, thanks again. All right. Take care, everyone.